You staying home tonight? I hadn't planned on it, no. Plan on it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so one of the reasons I want to have you on is because I've been loving the um, Memento Moria, this journey of Memento Moria I've been watching you live out. Um, can you can you explain that a little bit? Explain when you started because you put a you put a skull on your desk, don't you? Yeah. Do you have it on your desk right here? <gasps> I do. Yeah. Oh, super it's a little cool. guy. That's yeah. super cool. Yep. So when did this start, and what like? Because this has kind of become a thing. Like, did you did you envision how however long ago you started doing this that that how like this this has become Not a pretty all. big thing in your life and also just yeah. on social media. Yeah, I had no idea it would blow up like this. Um, I, and I think it's just the Holy Spirit. It was just like something he wanted to do yeah. in my life, but also in other people's lives. Yeah. Because the first time I tweeted about it, I was just kind of joking. Um, <laughs> it was like day one with a skull on my desk. I don't even remember what I said, but it was it was a joke. Yeah. Um, it wasn't anything serious or profound. It was just a joke. Yeah. Um, and then day two, I was still kind of joking in that first week. And then I started to have other thoughts about death. And I tweeted those two. Yeah. And people were just responding. They were just like, sister, where can, can I get a skull for my desk? Yeah. And people didn't, some people were like, what are you doing? Why are you obsessed with death? I'm a little worried about you, sister. And <laughs> I get that. I get that reg- pretty regularly from some people. But yeah. um but I think over time, people started to understand it. They started to get it and they started to feel like it would be helpful to them, too. And so as I was doing it, I was just like, well, you know, I'll just tweet this every day until I get sick of it. Yeah. And yeah, I haven't yet. And I'm on I think I'm on day 380 something. Wow, that's cool. So, yeah. Well, so so I tr- I'm hoping my hope is that the audience for this podcast is not is not all Catholic. So some people might be thinking a sister tweeting and like, like it might seem kind of odd. Like how many sisters have Twitter accounts or are engaged on social media? Is that a thing? Is that a thing that's part of your order? Is that a thing that's part of the charism or part of, uh, or is it just, you know, just a hobby that, um, that your superiors are like, Oh, this is fine. Be on Twitter. Do uh, crazy skull things. <laughs> um, so uh, the Daughters of St. Paul were founded by Blessed James Alberione. In, uh, he started us in 1915, and he wanted us to spread the gospel using modern media. So at that point, it was publishing books, and uh, we still publish books. But he wanted he constantly said, use the most modern forms of communication. And obviously, he didn't foresee what that would be, but he was alive when movies started to be a thing and television and radio. So he's kind of a prophet of this time of this kind of explosion of new ways of communicating. And he said, if St. Paul were alive today, you know, he, when he was in prison writing letters, that was like the fastest way to get information to people. And so he used the fastest way. And so if he were alive today, our founder said, first of all, he said, St. Paul was your founder. And then he was in prison. He was in prison at one point. Did you say he was in prison writing letters? St. Paul. Oh, gosh. (laughs) I thought thought you were talking about. That would have been really cool. Yeah. Alberione. Okay. Okay. He he was kicked out of, out of seminary, but that's probably the. the, (laughs) (laughs) 
So he's so he so uh so James Father James Alberioni was yeah. was saying use the most modern means and so your order is kind of all about that all about using the the most modern yeah. means for communication. Yeah. Not all of our sisters are on Twitter, but a lot. I mean, especially among the younger generations, a lot of us are using social yeah. media, and that's part of our charism. We it, it kind of is a side thing because I have I have a job, I go to school, I have a lot of things going on, so um, I try not to let it take over too much of my life. But I do I do try to be involved in it because that's what our founder called us to do. Yeah, it's a difficult yeah. balance trying to balance putting sharing parts of your life on social media and also not getting consumed by it. It is, yeah. It can be addictive, yeah. and I've had to put things in place to kind of keep myself from getting kind of swallowed up in that world yeah. or what, what, you know. what's worked for you. I have to turn all notifications off. Like I, oh, yeah. like my I phone, if anything happens, my phone does nothing unless I go looking yeah. for it. But what, what kind of things have you done that, that have worked for you? I actually block Twitter on my phone. Oh, and so you only do on laptop. On yeah. Laptop on and I, and I even have it limited. I, I use stay focused. And so I just have what's half that? an hour. It's this app that you can get on Google Chrome and you can block different uh, sites after a certain amount of time. That's cool. So like if, if, you're, yeah. if you're on Twitter too long, it just kicks you off? Yeah, it just like kicks you off and says stay focused. And then <laughs> that's the end of your Twitter for the day. So. That's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's really funny. Okay, I'm going yeah. to have to look into that because I, I need some of those things. Well, if you've heard the new – do you have an iPhone, sister? I do, yeah. The new iPhones that are, or I guess there's some update or something, and it's going to start telling you how long you're spending on certain apps and how long you're on your phone throughout the day to try yeah. to give you targets for how much time you want to spend on your phone. Yeah, so that's you could just set. not helpful to me. Oh, like, really? I, yeah, I just need something to be like, you cannot use this anymore. <laughs> well, I think, I think it might send you a notification. Like, oh, you've hit your limit yeah. for the day. You said you yeah. want to use t- two hours, and then it'll just kind of hit your limit and you'll be like, all right, you <laughs> two hours, you're done. Yeah. Yeah. So it blocks you after that point. I, I'm not sure. I know that something, I know that you can set something up to pop up and say like, you've hit your limit or something to that effect. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty I need weird. the blocking things. Cause it's just, it's hard to control yourself. It's yeah. like, yeah, just yeah, yeah. you're curious or you get it you're like i just want to see how many notifications i have or whatever i'm just like i need i need like just something that kicks me off and i'm done <laughs> yes exactly so. yeah so so when you put so when you put the skull on your desk what like was it just what kind of motivated you to do that have you always been i've always been super not fascinated with death but i've always had a re- weird relationship with death i think about it a lot um hmm. and but I haven't had very many people in my life close to me die. Mm-hmm. And um, so I've had a really weird relationship like with the idea of death. I feel like my brain just doesn't comprehend it really well. And so I've always been had a weird not I wouldn't say fascination because it's not like I was seeking out stories of death. But I remember as a really young kid just often putting myself trying to put myself in the mental state of like, OK, if this were my last seconds. You know, that pizza box, that would be the last thing I'd see. That'd be kind of dumb, <laughs> you know, like wow, just that's thinking, fascinating. Yeah, just thinking stuff like that yeah. all the time. Um, so what was it for you? Like, was it just on a whim? You put it up and then just kind of followed it or what's been your relationship with with death? It seems like a weird people listening are like, this is a weird, morbid topic, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I think, I, you know, it's 
it's from having meditating on death regularly that I've started to think about my relationship with death in the past. And um, so when I was an atheist, obviously, I, I believe that nothing happened after death. That was the end of it. But you no soul, you no nothing. You weren't born an atheist, right? No, I was Catholic. Okay, so. you are born Catholic. Your family was Catholic? Yeah. Yes. And then what was yeah. the... What happened? What happened in between being raised Catholic and becoming an atheist? So I, you know, I, I began having doubts about God when I was at a young age. I was a very skeptical kind of kid. I was always asking questions and pushing back on things. Um, but when I was fourteen, it, I kind of reached a point with the problem of suffering and my doubts and skepticism about God's existence that I was like, you know what, I don't, I don't believe in God. Mm. Um, so after that, for about 12 years, I was away from, I was an atheist and away from the church. So, um, during that time, I really did not think about death a whole lot. I mean, I, I thought, oh, death, it's the end and there's nothing consoling about it. There's nothing. And it's kind of a scary thought, but if it's the truth, I'm okay with that. Cause Mm -hmm. I would, I would rather believe in the truth than to kind of console myself with these myths, religious myths that people come up with. And so, um, but, but then one of my friends died suddenly, he was climbing a mountain in Alaska and he just fell. And I, that was the first time that someone really close to me had passed away. Mm. And it was kind of, it was a traumatic event in my life. And I, I really had to sit with death in a more serious way and think what, what do I really believe that nothing happens after death? Because mm. I haven't really thought about it a whole lot. And I haven't really considered what people have thought about it, mm. you know, philosophically or religiously. And I, I, w- I kind of want to know what the answers have been throughout the centuries. And so it, it, it prompted me to think about spiritual things. And I, I'm just hearing atheists in my head saying, well, you're just looking for some kind of consolation because your friend had just died but but really it was more it was more like I wanted to understand what people thought about this yeah, topic yeah, yeah. because I just had I had these these I I had these assumptions based on my atheistic beliefs but I really wanted to understand what the rest of the world thought about it yeah. and what other religions said I feel like I feel like when someone dies or when there's a when there's a story of a death or someone near you I feel like, at least for me personally, throughout my day, I can be, my focus can be on so many different things. It can be, and it's especially not on the present moment. It's always on this project that's a week away, two weeks away, you know, the, or, or just like the project of my life and going towards that. And so even in my daily activities, I'm not really, I'm not really there and present or, mm-hmm. or if I'm around people, I might be projecting like, this is who I want to be, or this is who, you know, so you're, I don't know, at least for me, maybe I have borderline personality disorder or something, but like, <laughs> I, I feel like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm constantly thinking about, about how I'm acting. Right. But right. for me with death, it feels like it's the most, um, it's the most inescapably real. I mean, I mean, someone goes from, from here to not, mm-hmm. and, and it just feels so, uh, for me, probably because I haven't processed death enough or, or haven't had people near me, but it just, it just doesn't compute in my head. And I feel like for atheists, for Christians, for everyone, regardless of 
you know, if you believe in something after death or if you don't, there's something mm-hmm. inescapable about this fact that this thing was here and then something's different about it. I mean, it's just, you right. know, even if you're a materialist, it's like this body was doing something and now it's not. And we don't even understand necessarily from a scientific viewpoint what that even means, you know? Right, right. And it, 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 feel, it really makes you, um, even if you have been your whole life, you know, a Christian, I think it really makes you kind of stop and, and, uh, and go, okay, do I, like, what do I really think happens, you know, after yeah. that? Yeah, I, kind of, I think it kind of strips away all these things that distract us and kind of focuses us really in an extreme way on the, the real questions of life. Yeah, what, I think so, a lot of us avoid a lot. Yeah, wasn't there something from Walker Percy or something about, about uh, how, like, tragedy can force us to, to immediately focus on what's most important in our life and suddenly – all of these things around us don't matter anymore and how it's, it's almost like, like a weird, uh, it's like a, like a blessing or like, I don't know how he described it, but something like that. Like it just, it, yeah. it, you realize that nothing else matters. Yeah. That makes sense. Cause I, I think when I'm thinking about when our sisters die in the convent, yeah. we have, and I, I hadn't been around death a whole lot. So when I heard about this tradition, I was kind of like, oh, oh, maybe I'll pass. Cause when our sister's, are are dying we we have a sign-up sheet every half hour someone will go and sit next to the sister just so that she won't be alone and other people are there anyways but just to make sure and throughout the night and so the first few times I did it I was so it it was very very difficult because when you walk into that room it's like it's almost as if time stops it's Everything is very slow moving and the person is just breathing in a labored way and they can't, they usually can't talk to you. They kind of recognize your presence and they'll smile and they'll, they'll kind of respond a little bit, but everything's at a standstill Mm. and it's painful. Like it's painful to be in a room with someone who's dying and to think Every, like you'd have nothing to distract you except yes. for this person who is dying. Yeah. And so it, it's, I, it's really, it really makes you come face to face with death and kind of everything. And when you walk out of that room and I'm walking back to my office, it's like all that work that I thought was so important and all the stuff that was in my kind of filling my mind it just kind of melts away and, and everything is in a different perspective because you think that sister is dying and yeah. I'm going to die one day. And wow. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah it's, I, I re- seriously, like when I go through these phases where I start thinking about it, you know, where I'll, my mind will snap into like, you know, if, if I was dying right now, it, the gravity of it, is, is just inescapable. Everything looks different. Honestly, I've had a hard time consoling others who have had someone pass away because I feel like anything I, and I've told this to many people in my life that I struggle with this. I feel like anything I could say does not compare to the gravity of the situation. Like Mm -hmm. that it's almost better to just be silent than to Mm -hmm. say, um, I'm so sorry. And that sounds so bad, but like I've always felt, um, and I mean, I, I honestly, I, I feel like this is why it's so beautiful that our church has liturgies because it's almost like they give, it gives you the words 
to mm-hmm. just almost like a routine. Like this is how we handle this situation and the gravity of the situation. But I've always felt like, mm-hmm. like words can't really, you know, give enough respect to this, this weird thing that even that any of us Christians or non-Christians would, 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 um, would hold is really important. You know, like, I, I don't know that I've ever met an atheist. It's just, I think any, athe- any atheists that are that nihilistic are just suicidal, right? Cause it's like, mm-hmm. if not, if, if they don't honor or if they don't have a healthy respect for death and they're just like, they don't have a healthy right. respect for life almost. Right. Right. Definitely. Is that, uh, so some people hearing this are like, I'm sure there's some people who don't know that a lot of the saints kind of reflected on death often. And, um, I think if, if someone heard that, they might think, oh yeah, you know, just, just preachers who are preaching fire and brimstone and are like, okay, you're going to die. So avoid hell. Um, Mm -hmm. but I, that's not necessarily true, right? Like saints have focused on death in a lot of different ways throughout our history. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I really had no idea of the, the, this tradition in the church, but it's, it's so rich. I, almost all of the church fathers talked about death. Yeah. And really it makes sense because I think the early Christians were closer to the mystery of Christ's death and resurrection. And so they really understood in a deep way how that, in, that the implications of that for our own death. And so a lot of what they talk about is when they're talking about Jesus, they're talking about our own death and yeah. how we've been saved from death. And um, and then a lot of a lot of saints talk about death in different ways, but how the meditation on death is helpful to not only to realize what Jesus has done for us, but also to prepare us for eternity. Yeah. And they, and they I mean, they do talk about the reality of hell and judgment and all of those things. But I think the, the focus mostly is on eternity and yeah. preparing yourself for eternity. It's so weird, too, because if you think about the early church fathers or even in, you know, in the time of Christ, death was, I mean, you would, you would probably see death more often, right? Like I'm thinking of Christians being thrown into coliseums or, um, you know, ways that they would execute people or uh, stuff like that. I mean, throughout history, it, it feels like we're living in one of the least death exposed times right now. It, feel, it feels kind of like that, like, like we avoid showing even violence in some cases, we just, you know, we're censoring things. And, um, sometimes I wonder if that's good to be sheltered from death or if that, if there's some way that we could show death without, without making people like, like without making people crave to see it, you know, like it's such a fine balance. I don't know. I mean, I think there's a reason, like, I think there's a reason that momentum more was popular in medieval times when the plague and was around and people were dying and dying early and children died early. And um, I, I think, I think that people were able to meditate on death because they were surrounded by it and they realized they, they were kind of confronted with that reality all the time. And so they were comfortable with that meditation and, and really they needed it because they could die at any time. Yeah. And the same is true for us, but I think we sanitize it, we hide it, especially in the United States. Yeah. I think in other countries, people are much more comfortable with death. They, you know, they'll have wakes in their homes mm-hmm. or even our, our, when our founder died in Italy, it's an Italian custom to take a picture of the corpse 
and to make a holy card of it and to send it around. And all of the sisters in the United States were like, what is this? You know, like, I, don't, I did not want and most of them were like, I looked at that and I did not look at it ever again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that's kind of our way. We, we tuck away those things. And and there is a lot. I mean, I was thinking when you were talking about violence, there's a lot of violence, actually, in a lot of our TV shows and movies. But I think it it also kind of insulates us from the reality of death because it kind of makes it almost like jokey or yeah. like, you know, not real, not real people dying and that, that ending yeah. Your lives ending. You know? I think I heard Dustin Hoffman say once that he'll never be in a movie. He'll never take a part where someone holds a gun up to someone else. And it was so fascinating. He said, because when someone holds a gun up in a movie, it is nowhere near the reality of, of what happens in real life when someone's holding a gun. And he felt like kind of like this idea that, that to portray in a movie, someone holding a gun even if you try to make it severe in a movie, it, it, it still does not, it, like you're saying, it insulates us. It makes it this thing that we see on a screen and, and it's harder for us to see it in real life. And, and he felt so strongly that, that holding a gun up is a severe thing um, yeah. that, 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 you know, showing that in pictures or in movies is, is somehow strips, strips us from being able to see it. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. I'll have to think about that more. Yeah. It's almost as if surrounding ourselves with false death is an insulation from real death. Yeah. But I, yeah, it's really interesting. So, um, do you, like, when you, I, I guess maybe when you were an atheist, I guess now, like, coming from an atheist background and then back into the church, death a lot of times brings up, I guess, either doubt or just, um, I mean, when you go through that, when, when I think about going through, this trial of, of death, a lot of times I'm kind of praying that I'll be able to, you know, be strong through it, be courageous and not, and not in that moment. Um, I'm just, you know, hoping and praying that I don't suddenly doubt everything and just get kind of scared at that transition. But, you know, going from atheism and then back to Christianity and struggling with faith versus doubt, how do you think about that? Like, how do you think about that trial of coming up to death and, and the relationship between doubt and faith, because I think a lot of times Christianity is portrayed as like, we just have this blind faith and we don't struggle with, with doubt. Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I, when I entered the convent, my grandmother died about a, a half a year into being in the convent. And that I was, my world kind of fell apart because I was just, I really hadn't thought a whole lot about death. Like I believed in God, I believed in Jesus, I, but I, w I hadn't really thought about the whole dimension of death. And it kind of, all the questions came back to me and I was like, does God exist? Why am I here? What am I doing? Where's my grandmother? Like all of those questions came back to me. And I remember the next morning, a, a, she was a very sweet and holy woman, but she came up to me and she said, I heard that your grandmother died. I'm so sorry, but she is in a, and she got really happy. And she said, she's in a wonderful place now. She's in heaven. And I just kind of looked at her like, ah, okay, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you believe that right now, but yeah. I don't. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I think that memento mori for me has been facing that, that, kind of that abyss every day you face it and you face those doubts and you, you allow yourself to experience those doubts. 
but um, but it's also a, a meditation that I'm experiencing with Jesus. Mm. And so I think he's gradually helping me to see death differently. And I'm hoping by the time I'm on my deathbed that I'll be able to die a peaceful death because I've seen it in, in some of our sisters who have passed away. Yeah. They are ready to die. They are not afraid. Yeah. And I want to be that. I want to be that sister. But yeah. I think I... I I need to, to meditate on death yeah. daily in order to do that. Yeah. So, do you yeah. do you ever think about the fact that I mean I'm sure you do, but we you know, we have this belief in Christianity that that Jesus died, that he was God, but he also somehow participated in in human death, that he became man and then went through death and not only went through it but was dead for multiple days. I mean, what I mean I don't know. What do you do? You think about that, or what do you make of that? What does that mean to you that that Jesus allowed himself to die and and went through that? Yeah, I, I don't. I know it's a super heavy question. <laughs> <laughs> These are the things that pop into my head. <laughs> yeah, well, it doesn't surprise me if you're thinking about death when you're a kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Like I have this icon. Um, to be man, I should go grab it. I have this beautiful icon that really caught my eye and I didn't think of it till just now about how related to this it is, but it's a, it's a long, it's a tall icon, kind of like the one behind you back. Well, it's like tall. Um, Mm -hmm. and it has at the, at the bottom, like third is just, um, Mary holding Jesus's dead body. And then the Mm -hmm. whole rest of it is just blank sky. And with like maybe a little hill or something like Golgotha in the background. But when I was, when I was walking past this table and I saw all these different icons, I'd seen icons before and lots of different types and decorations and stuff. The empty space just struck me. I'd never seen an icon with that much empty blank. I mean, it's just blue and you know, two thirds of it is just blue. And then at the bottom, you know, Mary holding Jesus. And, um, I don't know why exactly it probably all this like death fascination stuff, but it, I mean, I immediately bought it and just put it by my bed in this little place where I pray. Um, because it's just still so weird to me, like this idea that this kind of, yeah, this idea that we believe that God became man and then, and then he went through death and experienced and, and, and just the silence that's in this icon, this empty, this empty space. Like if anyone were to die, if God dies, you know, as Nietzsche said, it would be just so, so in. Uh, like is it incomprehensible uncomprehensible <laughs> you know mm-hmm. yeah. it's just such a weird thing to think about yeah yeah i mean it's so hard to talk about but, but i mean it's easy to say god just died in his humanity and obviously couldn't die in his divinity but i think about i think i think about um more than that moment of death like what exactly was going on right there I think more about how Jesus must have meditated on his death, his entire life, human life mm, also, yeah, yeah. because he knew in his divinity what was going to happen. And so I think when he tells his disciples, like, pick up your cross daily and follow me, I think he's he's telling them to meditate on death. And he's telling them that he has been meditating on death because yeah. I don't think he's saying like pick up your cross. Cause like the moment when I start going to Golgotha, it's like, I am already carrying my cross. Like I'm already on the way to Golgotha. I know where I'm going. Mm. And this whole, the whole, his entire life is kind of 
centered at that end that yeah. he knew was coming in the same way that, that we, our entire life, really, we know that that end is coming, whatever it's going to be, it's going to come and we I, don't know when. I guess I've just, that's, that's such a good way to put that. Cause I haven't really thought about that connection. Cause I think I've just heard pick up your cross and follow me so many times. And it's been so, I guess just present in my life that I always just think pick up your cross and equate it to burdens, you know, struggles. Right. And, and as you're saying it just now, it's like, it would be like someone saying, pick up your electric, your electric chair or like pick up your guillotine and follow yeah. me. It'd be like, yeah. Oh, okay. Pick up the means of my, my death and walk with it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Or even pick up your mortality, yeah. like the burden of your mortality or yeah. the, the knowledge of your mortality. Yeah. Did you, did you feel that more as an atheist? Did you feel this like, did you ever, did you ever go through some nihilistic existential type, uh, uh, burdens or crisis kind of in, in that atheistic time or the, you know, to be honest, thinking about death was less stressful. Than <laughs> I, I think just because I, there was nothing to stress about, yeah, you know? it was just like, yeah. if it happens, it happens and you yeah, know, we'll find it. out. Yeah. yeah. And I don't really have to worry about it or think about it. Yeah. And so now, now I do. And yeah. so I, I think it makes it more stressful in a way, yeah. but so what's yeah. been, what's been the change from day one to day 385? Has, has there been, have you noticed, uh, any changes from constantly thinking about that every day and this becoming, you know, a bigger part of your life? Yeah. I think people thought that I would make me morbid or unhappy or, you know, I, I don't know what, what some people thought, but they were a, a little concerned for me, like I told you before, but, but really it has helped me to be more, uh, focused. Mm. Just the, the kind of decisions that I make are in a different, I just have a different, more narrow lens. It's like, I, I don't worry about the same things. I have this perspective. It's actually a broader perspective that helps me to narrow my perspective because yeah. I'm thinking about things in terms of eternity. And that helps me to be like, you know, this really, it, in terms of eternity, this is not that important. Yeah. And I mean, this is something that St. Ignatius encouraged people to do when they made decisions. Imagine yourself on your deathbed. Mm. What decision would you make? And then you're like, wow, you know, it just totally, it just boils everything down. And you're like, all right, it's pretty, your decisions become much more obvious when you're thinking and Yeah, and it kind of makes, you know, the day-to-day -day little struggles seem not as important. You know, it's like, yeah. it's like, man, this email is really bother. You know, this email with this person is really bothering me. And then you think, okay, 50 years from now, is this really going to matter? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's funny because I, when I was working on my, my Memento Mori book for, for, we're doing a journal and a, a Lenten devotional oh, cool. and I was getting really obsessed about all the details about it, like getting the design just right yeah. and getting the right person and all that stuff. And I had to keep saying to myself, like, Memento Mori, <laughs> yeah. Teresa, like, really, just let this go. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, I, I'm totally not living what this is supposed to be yeah. about. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> and I was, like, getting worked up with my sisters. And, I, and then I was like, 
really, like I'm being such a, such a bad example to them about what Momentum Mori has done for my life. <laughs> <laughs> That's so ironic, though, that the book would make you uh, struggle with that. In some ways, it's kind of fitting that the book makes you struggle with that. Have you yeah. have you published any books before? I know you're you're still writing and stuff online, right? Like blogging and stuff, or a little bit. Yeah, sometimes I write would, for Alatea. Would this be your first book? It's um, I, it... I wrote the Prodigal You Love okay. before, so okay. so that was my first book. Was this that will be second? Was that easier? How long ago was that? The Prodigal You that, Love. Um, four years ago. Okay. Was that? Yeah. Was that easy? Was that easier to get out? Do you do you feel like, you know, with Memento Mori, you're a little more, uh, you want to get it just right? Or was it the first book that was the hardest to, to kind of put out there? I think the first book was the hardest just because it was my first book. Yeah. And when I was asked to do it, I was like, I write a book? Like, I, I write 500-word blog posts. Like, <laughs> how do you even write a book? Yeah. So it was very, it was overwhelming to me to write a book. So, and I, I sent it, a, I, I did it over a two-year period. I sent it out to a million people and got yeah. feedback. This was kind of, it was like, if we want to get this out by next Lent, you need to do, you need to write this in like a few months. Yeah. So all of my perfectionist tendencies were like, I was really, I was really getting intense. It was really hard because I, I did, I, that's a really short timeline yeah. to write a book. So I, I was just, we have this thing called the pact. Our founder said, pray the pact when you have something that you have to do, like you're, you're always going to have way more to do than you can possibly do. Mm-hmm. So he made a pact with the Trinity and he said, multiply our studies, our mm-hmm. prayer, our time, all of it. And we trust that you'll do that. Yeah. So I was just like the pact. I believe in you, Jesus. Like you want me to do this. I will get this done. I trust in you. But of course I was also freaking out all the time. (laughs) Well, that's interesting. So the first book you were just kind of, you were just kind of told to write it. Like, so you had no choice. You just had to. We had it. We had one of the sisters gave us a class. And at the end of the class, she said, if you were going to do any project, like what would you do? That was our assignment. So I wrote my project. I turned it in. And then like six months later, I was driving the car with my superior and she was like, you know, that project that you turned in like a while ago. I was like, yeah. She's like, well, we'd actually like you to write that. I was like, that was like an, that was an assignment. I went, what? Are you serious? <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was kind of overwhelming. But was it a good experience in general? Like, do you? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I God just provides the graces. Yeah. There were things that I wrote that even in this Momentum Worry book book that when I would finish it, I would just say, Thank you, Jesus, because that was not me. Like yeah. that insight, I didn't even that wasn't in my head. That yeah. was totally Holy Spirit. Well and I'm sure I'm sure you probably know this better than, than anyone, but there isn't there is a, a certain amount of um of grace that comes from just being obedient to someone else, someone else's project or someone else's direction in your life. It's kind of like, it's kind of like you don't have to worry too much because you're like, all right, like they're responsible for this. Like they, you know, I'm just going to be obedient and allow, you know, allow God to work in that obedience. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely true. And I think there's also the graces of my vocation, you know, and, and also the Memento Mori thing, when it just kind of flared up and everyone was like sending me pictures of the skulls on their desk, I at that moment, I just said, 
this is the Holy Spirit. Like yeah. he wants something to happen here. And so when I was writing those books, I was just like, whatever you want to happen, please yeah. let it happen through me. And hopefully I won't be an obstacle to it. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about the book or as much as you can tell us. I don't know if you can, but the Memento Mori book, what's like, tell us about it. So it's a journal slash your meditations or is it multiple meditations or? So it's two, it's two books. The first one is a journal, just a writing journal, but it has quotes from my Twitter, but also quotes from the Bible and saints and church fathers. And then it has an appendix of prayers for Memento Mori. Yeah. And um, one of our other sisters did the design for it, which is, it's really, she went to Rhode Island, Island School of Design and oh, it's, nice. it's Sister Danielle Victoria. So nice. I'm really excited to have her doing it. So, um, and then the Lenten devotional is, is another book that will be coming out for Lent. So they'll probably come out around the same time in November, but yeah. And is it like a daily devotional for every day in Lent kind of meditations yeah. by you? Yeah, it has all the readings for that day. It just has the citations and then a quote and then a, a meditation on the quote. But then it has a quote from a saint or a church father. Mm. And then um, I, I, I encourage people to do the examine, but I kind of, I added a step to make it kind of a way to incorporate momentum more into your day. Cause yeah. some people already do the exam and if they don't, they really should. Cause it's a great way. Yeah. Maybe, and it, it, do you mind explaining the exam a little bit for people that might not know what that is? Yeah. The exam is just a way to review your day. Um, so you, you kind of come into the presence of God, you ask for the inspiration of the Holy spirit and then it, it's a it's a twofold movement. It's not like your examination of conscience before confession. In the examine during your day, you're you're really you're you're giving gratitude to God for all of the good that happened in that day. But then you're also you're also seeing with His presence with alongside you um, how ways that you failed. But it has to be kind of a twofold movement. It's, it's not about thinking, oh, I just did terrible. I, oh, there's all these things I did wrong with today because I mean, why would you do this every day? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it would be a pretty depressing part of your day, but really the exam is <laughs> supposed to be uplifting yeah. <laughs> and it's supposed to help you become better for the next yeah. day. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. you're asked, just saying, Hey God, thank you for being so present to me. And I really wish I hadn't been rude to that sister that I saw at the water cooler because I was in a hurry please help me to be more patient or whatever. And, and then you look ahead to the next day and you ask for graces for things, you, you know, you know that you're going to be in this meeting that is going to require a whole lot of patience. So you say, God, please give me some patience to get through that meeting. Um, but so the examine already is kind of uh, prepare. What you're doing is preparing yourself for death, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but I kind of just incor incorporated a step to make that explicit so that people could, if they're already doing an examine, they could make it a momentum mori examine, or they can just keep it um, as part of their day. Yeah. That's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So what's been what's been the biggest thing besides this blowing up that's surprised you about momentum mori, like the just this whole thing on Twitter. I mean, it's mainly on Twitter, right? That a lot of this is happening. Yeah. Um, I think maybe, maybe just realizing how, how deep this is in our, in our, in my own charism. I mean, the reason I got it was because blessed James Alberioni had one on his desk. Oh, really? 
Yeah, he had it. I tweeted a picture of it recently. It was it was actually a skull and crossbones behind it. It was really hard. Yeah. So I remember reading about that. He had that when before I entered the convent. And I just thought that was really cool. I want to do that at some point. Yeah. But but I've sisters have been telling me things in our charism that he would just sit, talk about Mimosa Mori a lot. Wow. Um, one sister just sent me something recently that was like it was in 1954. And he was like he was talking to the daughters of St. Paul and he said, people are starting to say that that meditating on the last things is is old stuff and it's out of style. Meditating on death is just it's in the past and we don't need to do that anymore. He's like, do not fall into that. Wow. He's like, read Alphonsus, the glorious preparation for death. Mm-hmm. He said, um, reminding people of their death and the last things is a way to prepare people's souls for heaven. Yeah. And so I, and I had no idea of this in, in yeah. the charism, but it was like the Holy spirit obviously did. Yeah. And that's so, super cool. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That, what an affirmation of like, this thing that at first you were like, well, I'll just do this. This is just kind of cool. And then, yeah, man, that's, pre- that's pretty awesome. That it just got taken to a whole nother level. Yeah. It's, it's how God works. Have you have, has it, I imagine that this is something that attracts people that, or just that it might attract people on Twitter who aren't necessarily Catholic. Like, has there been any interaction with people who aren't Catholic being like, what is, what is this sister talking about a skull all the time for? Yeah, there's a whole secular memento mori movement, yeah. and I fo- I follow the the tag on Instagram, and I actually don't recommend it because there's a lot of occult weird stuff uh, okay. going on. But yeah, but you're you're right actually. I think um like Tim Ferriss and Ryan Holiday are really into um, stoicism, and I think there's yeah. like a coin that says memento mori on the back, maybe. Yeah, yeah, he actually sent me one of those. Who did? So uh, uh, Ryan Holiday, I think. He just sent you yeah. one of the coins. Yeah, he was. Like, cause he contacted he, me because he saw the whole Memento Mori thing. Yeah, he was like, "I think it's really cool what you're doing, and I just want to send you one of these." Wow, that's awesome! Yeah, that's yeah, so cool. Yeah, man. Yeah, so yeah, there's a there's a lot of um, Stoics who are into it. Yeah. I didn't even know there were still Stoics. I know, right? It's, <laughs> it's really. Know? I think it's really getting a resurgence, partially through Tim Ferriss and Ryan Holiday and some of them. But um, I really feel this. I feel this coming sense of people moving away from scientism and starting to mm. pick up. I mean, either it's going to be a resurgence of new age ism type stuff, but I really feel it coming. This kind of people looking for a framework for life that's bigger than, than science. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think, and I think that's what this, this whole secular movement, like uh, some people call it death positive or, um, yeah, it's, it's really fascinating that people, I think people are starting to think, well, like, what does death mean? Yeah. And I think they're realizing that thinking about death daily, you know, even outside of the Christian tradition, it has deep roots. It, yeah. You know, even the Stoic philosophers talked about it, Socrates talked about it. So it's it's something that can be beneficial to anyone, really. Yeah. And, and yeah, so people on Twitter and other people do find what I'm talking about interesting because yeah. because it, it it it's applicable to everybody. Everybody dies. Well, yeah, and, and also and now that mystery, now yeah. yeah now that we're talking about it, I'm realizing too that you know I mean I know so many people in my life who are who are really into science as a as like this is the only way we know to find truth. But it's really interesting how death. I mean. For one, the science behind whether or not, like how to judge 
um, right. legally that someone has died is right. is so fuzzy. It's so like I I had read some books a few years ago, so it's probably all dated stuff. But I had read about how the history of how we call someone dead medically has changed so many times. And there's been so many different situations where people come back from quote unquote being dead. It still dead. happens. Yeah. You, you read about it like in Africa or where they don't have. Yeah. yeah. And, crazy. And, and, you know, science can only tell you, I guess, whether or not someone died, but they can't say much about there, there's no, there's no empirical nature to death. Other like, right. a, like what happens afterwards, it kind of forces you to, it, it, science can only lead up to death. There's there's right. nothing, there's not much after. And to to start thinking more about death is to stop thinking about science as much. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting because I think death kind of it, it's where science kind of loses its footing. Yeah. And what does consciousness actually mean? And you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's why philosophy is necessary. Unlike yes, so necessary. Scientists think. Yeah, but, scientists. Yeah, scientists think scientists think they don't use philosophy. And then it's like, it's like, how are you doing any of this? I remember hearing uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson talk about how he felt like religion just stifled us because anytime a religious person got to the, what he called, maybe you remember, but what he called like the limit, the limit of our understanding, we would just chalk it up to faith or to God, right. you know, or we would just chalk it up to um, this. This is the mystery that we can't understand. And it's God. And I, yeah. I remember just hearing that and thinking, man, what a misreading of what a Christian is is doing in that moment. A Christian, like some Christians might be like, okay, well, we don't understand it. It's God and just right. give up. But I think the God of the gap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yes, yeah. that's exactly it. But yeah. I think I think a more honest Christian, I mean, especially someone like yourself who's who's had to wrestle who's wrestled honestly with atheism and then come back to Christianity. I think when a Christian like that says you know, wow, I'm at the limit of my understanding and looks at that mystery and says, like, this is incomprehensible. I think, man, there's just such a, I don't even know how to express it, but there's such a different, yeah, it it sounds the same. Like, oh, wow, I'm at the limit of my understanding. All of that is mystery. But, but I don't think that, I don't think that we as Christians just, that that means that we never want to expand that edge of understanding. Right, right. Like we we see that the mystery and um yeah, it kind of leads us to realize that materialism is kind of a dead end, you know? Yeah, yeah. I'm ac- I'm reading a book called The Worm at the Core and it's oh. about death and how fear of death can kind of shape people's life. Yeah. And they've done they've done a lot of studies on this actually that reminding someone of death actually makes them behave differently, so really? they they'll They'll, they'll remind judges of death before they sentence, um, let's say, like a prostitute to jail. And if they're reminded of death, they they, they give her a much longer sentence. Um, so it's just ha- like how it changes our behavior. Wait, and, wait, they give them a longer sentence? They would. Yeah, give- isn't that fascinating? That was un- that was surprising to me. But um, so who reminds? Was this a study they did? Were they reminding yeah, people of death? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They basically just gave him a questionnaire and said, you know, what do you think will, who do you think will be around your deathbed when you die? And so they're, they're kind of indirectly reminding them of death. Yeah. And so they fill out the questionnaire and then they go back and they sentence this, this fake person. Yeah. Um, and, and their sentences are like much longer. And much, so much more severe. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting weird yeah 
And actually, someone sent me some of these studies that they've done of, of the impact of reminding people of death and the anxiety and the yeah. kind of the negative results of that. And my response to it was, I, I would be really interested to to know what those results would be if you reminded someone of death who already regularly meditates on death. Mm, yeah, <laughs> because yeah, yeah. it's not surprising to me that yes. someone who doesn't regularly think about death would would be kind of struck with fear and be behaving very differently. Oh, afterwards. yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's like just today, me and my wife were talking. We had we were kind of thinking about this decision that affects where we believe we're going to be thirty to forty years from now. You know, we were trying like, okay, let's think about retirement. We never think about retirement, so there's so much anxiety about that. It's like, wow, we yeah. never think of this. You know, is my body going to be healthy? You know, who's going to be around? And we found ourselves talking as if. As if everything would like we right now would be in the future. And we're like, wait a minute, we won't have five kids. Like, why are we talking about needing multiple rooms? We're not gonna have any kids like, you know, and and, yeah, I could totally see, you know, if you if you bring up retirement to someone who hasn't been thinking about it for 20 years, it's like Mm -hmm. super anxiety producing. But if like once a year you sit down and and kind of at least talk about it a little bit. okay, we're going to retire at some point. We need to make a plan for that, I could see them being less anxious about it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. So this book is fascinating, but except for the fact that they're psychologists and anthropologists and they, their argument is basically that people, people use religion as this evolutionary mechanism to kind of squelch the fear of death. Mm. I was like, gentlemen, like you're not philosophers or theologians. Yes. You can't just say that yes, without exactly. making some kind of philosophical or theological Statement. argument. Yes. They're not. They're just making that assumption that yeah. without any scientific proof. So it's kind of, I don't necessarily recommend the book, but it's fascinating. So what would you say to someone who, like, you know, if someone's like, uh, yeah, we need to just, we need to just be fearless about death because it doesn't really mean anything. And, and, uh, yeah, someone who, who's, who is tempted to view Christianity as just a way to like pat ourselves on the back and, and feel more comfortable. What would you, what would you say to someone like that? In, in all charity, of course, you know, you'd, <laughs> you'd say something very charitable, but you know, I do, Well, first of all, I don't think that the Christian belief actually takes away the fear of death. Mm. It just it just doesn't. Yeah. Um, I, I think it, it's just as scary to us as it is to anyone else. Yeah. Like that's just a human reality to yeah. be fearful of death. And I think anyone who says otherwise is just not being honest with yeah. themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I but think, at the same, well, I was time, just gonna say real quick. I think yeah. I think sometimes, and I've been guilty of this too, in wanting to have a courageous death. I think sometimes. Yeah. I've kind of looked down on or just internally, you know, looked down on people who are scared of death. Cause I'm like, Oh, I'm yeah. not supposed to be that way. I, I can't, right. I, I, we're not supposed to say that cause we're Christian. Yeah. I think that that whole kind of posturing, I, I don't think it's helpful. Yeah. Um, especially in this day and age, because I, I, I think that most non-believers see right through it. Yeah, Totally. Yeah. So Sorry, you were you were gonna say what you would say to someone who I was I was gonna say at the same time, like we have a strong tradition in the church of you know, Saint Athanasius said the reason people believe in this faith is because Christians do not fear death. Mm. Like they, they go to their martyrdom fearless. Yeah. So 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 we can get to a point where 
where our fear of death is at least lessened or, or with grace we would be able to face martyrdom or we, we can look at death differently. So it, it is possible. And Thomas Aquinas said that, that Christ came to free us from the fear of death. Yeah. But, this, but it's interesting because the saints kind of are ambiguous on this point because some saints say, like Blessed James Alberioni, our founder, for instance, said, Jesus feared death before he went to the cross. So mm. it's a natural human thing to fear death. Um, but, but others say, we, and, and this is a consensus, we should fear sin more than death. Mm. That's, mm. Justin said that. Um, I think Jerome said that. A lot, of, a lot of saints said that. So Yeah, and there, there's, such a, there's such a difference between, I mean, I can decide to go get a very serious surgery and still be afraid of the surgery. Like I can... I can be strong in my conviction that I need to go get this surgery and people could view that as, as courageous, but, but still internally, I mean, I don't want to over spiritualize it, but in my flesh, in some ways I'm, I'm like reeling and we do that all yeah. the time in some ways, like yeah. throughout our whole day, we're doing things. There's part of us, this non non-material part of us, it's forcing our body to do something that's contrary to, to how it's wired. And we have to do yeah. stuff like that all the time. And it's, yeah. so, it's so hard to make a distinction. It's so, so hard to be black and white. Like, are you scared or not of this? It's like, that's a really complicated question. Yeah, yeah. I feel the same true. way about faith and doubt. It's like, do you doubt? I'm like, man, that's a really complicated question, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I don't know if you can ever tease them, tease the things out. Yeah. No, totally. Yeah. 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 Well, this was fascinating. <laughs> this was yeah. Great. Are there any other things? Great. Are there any other things you're really excited about right now or passionate about? I put a lot of links to some of these books. Are there any other good books on this or um, things that I should add to the show notes or things that um, that you're really excited about right now besides death? Um, yeah, right. <laughs> well, book wise, um, Ratzinger has a really good book, es- Eschatology. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay, I'm adding that. So, so is this? Tell us a little bit about this book. How many, um, how many books did Ratzinger write? The, by the way, this is Cardinal Ratzinger, who then became Pope Benedict. For those who don't don't know, but he wrote so like, many books, like more books than I can read in my lifetime. Yes. Really, when he died, I was I was actually kind of thrilled because I thought. <laughs> No more Not books. that he died. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah, he's going to stop writing books. I can catch up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I'm thrilled that he was Pope because it it brought his books on my radar yeah. and on on his radar. And I'm going to spend the rest of my life reading them. Oh yeah. So I'm still actually reading that book, but it's fascinating. Yeah, he had any or last thing. So. And I feel like most people. Even even non-Christians, if you were to pick up this book, any of Ratzinger's work, he strikes such a good balance, I feel like, in my un, unintelligent, uneducated kind of uh, opinion. I feel like he strikes such a good balance between um, being intellectual but not being non – not being heartless. You know, he's not he's not cold and heartless. I mean he's he's intellectual but he also brings such a – such like a deep – I don't want to say emotional. It's like a deep – Spiritual. Yeah, yeah yeah like a like a like um i don't want to say sensitive either just just like a i don't know someone will find the word but like a bleed like a like a yeah a realness to to the things yeah. that he talks about that i find i really love okay yeah. well i'm gonna add that to show notes 
Well, cool. Okay. So when does your book come out? Um, All Souls Day, I think. I'm all Perfect. It's going to be a big release, yep. Are you going to do a big, like, uh, um, Day of the Dead kind of uh, Dios, de, Dios de Mortis kind of, <laughs> yeah, uh, celebration of the release of your book? <laughs> Not that I know of, but we'll see. Have you seen the movie yeah. Coco? Yes, yeah. What would you think? This is pretty fascinating. This is Sisters Review right now. Here we go. Sisters <laughs> Review of Disney's uh, Coco feature-length film. I really should not be a reviewer of anim- <laughs> animated movies. Yeah. <laughs> My sisters laugh at me because I, like, refuse to watch them. But that would be this one. You have to watch it. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. it's in your so wheelhouse. You over it, yeah. So you thought it was okay. Yeah. I mean, the theology was a little sketchy. Yeah, but super weird. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, Yeah. Art-wise, it was pretty amazing. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, where can people go when your book comes out and just buy hundreds of copies of it and, and distribute it to their entire neighborhood? Where can people go? It'll be it'll be on Amazon and okay. also Pauline.com. Okay. Or and what's, what, are the, what are the two books called? Um, Remember Your Death, Memento Mori Journal, and Remember Your Death, Memento Mori Lenten Devotional. Okay, cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'll add that to show notes and go – Everyone go check out this book. Go buy it right now if you're listening because uh, <laughs> maybe it'll be out by the time you listen to this. Um, yeah, anything else you want to – I mean, anything else you want to tell people before we <laughs> – I, I still have not figured out a way to end these podcasts. I don't have any like – I don't have any ads to read. I don't have any like signing off, you know? All right. Remember your death. All right. There we go. Remember your death. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>